um, a new series that we are starting, a new sermon series on the book of Colossians. We will have six sermons. Um, the original plan was for Chiming to take the first session and mine the second, but Chiming cannot make it today. So I'm taking his sermon and he will take mine. Uh, Colossians has to be, and many people believe that Colossians is the most Christ-centered book in the Bible. Uh, and the theme is best uh, taken from Colossians 1.18, that in everything he might be preeminent. Uh, sorry, uh, go back. There are, uh, it's neatly divided into uh, half. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 is the doctrinal section. Uh, and chapter 3 and 4 is the practical section. Uh, I'm a bit worried about this uh, topic today because, you know, doctrinal section uh, is very rich. It's so rich that my knees go weak. I don't know how to expound on just 23 verses today. It's impossible. If I were to do it, it will, we will have an indigestion. So what I'll do is this. I'm not going to give you an introduction. There's no time for introduction. So Chi Ming, if you're listening to this online, you are doing it for the next round, all right? Chi Ming is doing it in two weeks' time. He will give you the overview and, and everything that the first preacher usually does. Now, um, let me go straight into uh, Colossians, but we have to read it, all right? So, uh, Jessica read part of it. Thank you, Jessica. But let's uh, turn to this passage again. I'll read it for you very quickly. Uh, skipping the first part because we don't have time. And go straight to verse 9. Colossians 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And may you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all in endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He's before all things. And in Him, all things hold together. And He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. That in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile Himself, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of the cross. Verse 21, And you, who were once, who were alienated once and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Rich, right? So rich. 
Do you notice? I'm going to cut this into small chunks. You know, when Paul was writing this, he was probably caught in an ecstasy. You know, he was just finding words. And it's the words to just describe the supremacy of Christ. And I'm going to put them in blocks like this. In the created order, in the world that is visible, this is Christ. He is the firstborn of all creation. And by Him, all things were created, all things. And before all things, He was there. And in Him, He is like the adhesive that glues everything together. You notice uh, how often Paul brings up this all, everything, all things in relation to Christ. He's trying his best to make giant declarations about the unqualified totality of Christ's preeminence. All things were created by Him, through Him, in Him, for Him. And what does this mean? What does this mean to us? In the visible world, in Him, through Him, for Him, through Him. It means this. He is the source of your life in Christ. In Him, we live and move and have our being. All things were created for Him, Colossians 1.16. And in 1 Corinthians 4.7, what do you have that you do not receive? And if you receive it, why do you boast as if you, you did not receive it? What it means is this. You know, um, nothing is us. Everything is His. When I was sleeping last night, I was sleeping on His bed. I mean, really, if all things are His, and I'm occupying His apartment, I use His toilet. When I take my shower, I use His soap and water. I'm wearing His clothes and shoes and eating His food, drinking His coffee and and if you have a car, you are driving his car. And you parents, if you are, have the privilege of raising children, you are entrusted with his children. Everything is for him. This is real. If you, if you think about it, that everything is created for him. It is his, then that must be the conclusion. It is his. He owns everything and I have everything on loan. This is the implication. Now, but this is not just true in the visible realm, also in the invisible realm. In the unseen world, in the invisible realm, by Him, all things were created in heaven, invisible, visible or invisible, thrones, dominion, rulers or authorities, in Him who is the head of all rule and authority, Colossians 2.10. In the spiritual realm, in the invisible realm, God is the conqueror and the controller. You get this in Colossians uh, uh, 1.16, right? And uh, by Him, all things were created in heaven and visible, invisible thrones and all that, through Him and that in all things, all things were created through Him and for Him. <laughs> now, what does this mean for us? In the unseen and invisible world, uh, look at Ephesians 1-2. This is another way to... Uh, cry, uh, Paul has summarizes, Christ is above all rule and authority the power and power and dominion over every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And in Colossians 2.15, he has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put, put, them, put them to open shame by triumphing 
over them in Him. What, is, what Paul is saying is this, uh, in, the, in the visible realm, everything is created for Him and we belong to Him. In the vis- invisible realm that we don't see, He has absolute control. In fact, He has already disarmed the principalities. Every forces of darkness, He has already brought it under His control. And let me just quickly give you a summary, okay? What does it mean? He owns everything. He sustains all things. And in His authority, it is immense and limitless. In His dominion, it is absolute and boundless. His control is vast, beyond the boundaries of our understanding. His power is sweeping. It is boundless, measureless, infinitely supreme, totally sovereign, endlessly significant. You know, you know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to find all the words I can think of to just summarize what Paul put in these few verses. Christ is preeminent. But not only this, you know, not only in the visible realm and in the invisible realm, the magnitude of Christ doesn't end here. And so Paul's exaltation went even higher. That will come in the next section. That Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God. God, He's the God of all and all is in Christ. So Colossians 1.15 says that He is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.19 says that in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2.9 says that in Him, the fullness, the whole fullness of deity dwells in Him. You know, when I was just thinking about this and just meditating, I said, God, I know. I know all this. I know you're great. I know Jesus is great, but how is it relevant to me? I don't think my friends here need to uh, be convinced that Christ is exalted, preeminent, and supreme. What does that mean to me? Well, what does the, the everythingness of Christ mean to me? You have to look at these verses, and I will read for you. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them God has chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is Christ in you. Colossians 3.3, Do you know that your life is hidden in Christ? 2 Corinthians 13.5, do you not realize that Christ, again, Christ is in you? Ephesians 1.15, that you are predestined for adoption through Jesus Christ. And Colossians 3.11, that Christ is all and in all. Let me put it in another way. I know it's very theological, very heavy, a lot of verses, right? What Paul is saying is this, you know, all Everything you see belongs to Him. Everything in the invisible realm is controlled by Him. Everything is His. And He is God. And do you know that all of Christ is now in us? Wow! Can we grasp this? And I, I, want, to, I want to help you to understand this uh, by just one example. Do you know a lady called uh, Catherine Elizabeth Middleton? All right. She is uh, she's a Duchess uh, of Cambridge now. The wife to Prince William. Now, she was born in uh, January 1982. Now, from 9th of January 1982 until she got married on the, uh, the 29th of April 2011, she was just Miss Catherine Middleton. Uh, I googled uh, her family is neither aristocratic nor royal. And then on the 29th of April, 2011, Buckingham Palace 
at 8 a.m., issued an announcement to officially recognize her to be a member of the royal household at 8 a.m. on the 29th of April, 2011. So she's taken out uh, from the house of Michael Middleton, her father, to the household of Queen Elizabeth. And uh, she is qualified by marriage to carry a royal title, and she's called Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge. And she is qualified by marriage to enjoy all the, the royal privileges. In a sense, she is adopted. She is adopted into the royal household. And uh, before that, you know, after she graduated from university, she was working for her, her parents uh, in a family business uh, as a web designer. And then now, you know, when, when Prince George was born and she has to put her occupation, her occupation is Duchess. It's, it's like that. Do you know that if she had not gone to St. Andrews and she had not met Prince William, she will be Miss Middleton? And that everything belongs to Christ. Here, in the visible and invisible realm. And because we are in Christ, Christ is in us, and we are adopted to the family, and everything just changed. We are never, we are never the same again. Do you know that if she is, if for some reason, uh, uh, well, if, if Prince William uh, dies prematurely at a young age, she will still be a member of the royal household. She will still be the Duchess of Cambridge. It will never change. And look at this verse. First, this is Colossians chapter 1, 12, 13, 14. The Father has qualified you. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the same in the light. He has delivered you us from the dominion of darkness. He has transferred us from the kingdom to, of his to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sin. My sisters, we are already qualified. We are already delivered. We are already transferred to His kingdom. We are already redeemed. We are already forgiven. This is what it means. So, Christ's fullness means everything to everyone in Christ. It's tremendous. And, uh, you know, what does, what does it mean that He has qualified? I want to bring you back to the, back to the example of, of Middleton. Uh, I, I should call her uh, the Duchess of Cambridge now. You know, uh, for the residents, after they got married, for their residents, they got Cassington Palace. And I was just wondering, you know, how much is the Queen worth and what, how many estates uh, and houses she owns? Uh? So I googled, oh, the list is very long. Okay, so, well, some of it is crown estate where it doesn't really... It doesn't really belong to her. She can't just give to anybody. It's true, true. Okay? But she has the right to use. She has access to all this property, the Queen Elizabeth. And so, some of these estates are really inherited by her. For example, Windsor Castle. Okay? It is uh, Windsor Castle and uh, uh, I think it is uh, Seringham House and a few other properties are really personally owned. And uh, Cassington Palace was given of, uh, to, to William and, and to Kate to use. And Queen Elizabeth properties are extensive. Buckingham Palace, Balmoral Castle. Balmoral Castle has 50,000 acres of woodlands. St. James Palace, Hillsborough Castle. And, uh, and this, is, this is what it means, all right? He has already qualified you. In Him, we have obtained an inheritance. Ephesians 
Ephesians 1.3, He has blessed us in Christ with every, the word is every, spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You know, I just wonder you know, sometimes whether this, this commoner called Catherine Middleton, does she have any idea Does she know what she is now? Does she know that everything that will be hers very soon, or maybe not very soon, but in time to come? Well, she, she may just be Her Royal Highness, the, the Duchess of Cambridge now. But when Queen Elizabeth died, a lot more things are coming her way. When Elizabeth died, her father-in-law, Charles will ascend to the throne as Charles III and then she will be the Princess of Wales the, because the, the, uh, William will be next to the throne. And when, when, when William ascends to the throne, she will be queen. And if William dies and George ascends to the throne, she will be queen mother. Does she realise what by marriage, just by marriage, just by going to the right university and getting to know the right man, by marriage, does she realize what she has now and in time to come? You know what? I think we don't know our inheritance. We don't know. Christ's fullness means everything to us. You know, that's why Ephesians 3 8, uh, Paul described it as, as the unsearchable, unsearchable that you have no idea, like, you know. Don't even try. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And to him who is able to do more abundantly than what you can even think, imagine. You can even ask, forget it, man. It is more abundantly. Okay? And then 1 Corinthians 2, 9. No eyes have seen. No ears have heard. No mind can conceive. All the things that God is prepared to do for us. No idea, man. Brothers and sisters, we know less than 10% of our true status as the Son of God. When we are in Christ, everything that Christ has is ours. You have no idea. You know that if, if Catherine and, uh, and William were to approach uh, their grandma, that, that God, uh, uh, you know, uh, grandma, if we just want to spend a month uh, in in uh, in one of your estates in St James or in uh, in Balmoral, can we do that? You know the Queen say, by all means, you don't have to pay rent. Enjoy my abundance, all this abundance you have access to. We can all share. We are family now, and this is what it means. And one day all the queen's riches and she has a, one of the world's largest collection of stamps, the rare stamps because it was given to her by the grandfather, Queen Elizabeth's grandfather. And all the jewellery and everything, one day, it will be passed down. And I want to, uh, I prepared two sets of slides and I had to bring the wrong set of slides, but never mind. I want to uh, read for you John fourteen twenty one. Okay, what I'm going to post uh, in the internet uh, and our website is going to be the other set I worked so hard on uh, fourteen twelve. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus told the disciples, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do 
and greater works than this will He do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Come and share in my inheritance. Come and take advantage of my abundance. Wow. And Second uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians one twenty. Second Corinthians one twenty says this. For him, the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. Meaning that, just us. It's ours now. Us, you'll be given. It will be a yes. It will be a yes. Now, if this is true, why are we not living up to this, this high, royal, exalted status? Well, I, I want now to um, put this aside and I want to give you the reason why I think uh, we are living below. It is this. I think that we have been plundered. And uh, Colossians 2.8, uh, which is uh, going to be preached in uh, a few weeks' time, Paul said that, see to it that no one takes you captive. And it speaks of uh, captive, uh, kidnap, uh, of being of, of plundering a house. A kidnapper uh, uh, snatch away someone who has something. But Paul is saying, don't let anyone kidnap you. Don't let anyone plunder the treasury of your truth, uh, the treasury of truth. There is a real danger that someone is going to carry you away and make you a captive so that you do not know what you have. You know, uh, I, I, I put these two quotes here because uh, uh, when I was reading these two, two wonderful books, uh, and I, this, this, uh, these two things came up to me really glaringly. George Wilber was celebrating uh, 52 years of ministry as the head of Operation Mobilization. And so they, they, they threw a dinner and, in his honour and they asked George Wilber, you have worked with so many young people in the generations. Uh, tell, tell us, as you talk to the hundreds of young people, what are their chief problems? And George Wilber said this, one of the biggest is low self-esteem. And then, Henry Nowen, one of my favourite authors uh, who wrote one of the books on, on, uh, on ministry, and uh, well, because he talked about ministry, in one of the chapters he mentioned this, that one of the main suffering experience in the ministry, and he was actually talking about the priests, the, the many, many priests who served with him, is that of low self-esteem. And I was just looking uh, back on my life. Do I have this problem? I tell you, I have the problem of self-esteem for, uh, for a very, very long time. And uh, once in a while, I will still be uh, uh, trying to, to battle this, uh, to go back to the Word, to pray against this sense of, uh, of, of inadequacy and low self-esteem. You see, what, what happens is I, I really feel uh, that I'm really a very, I'm Mr. Average. Uh, I don't go to uh, a very good school. I never excelled in sports. I'm never very good uh, academically. Uh, and uh, in ministry, it's, it's okay. In that, uh, when I went to, went to the army, I'm somewhere in between. It's, it's, so I just feel uh, that I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm Mr. Average. Uh. And uh, for a long time, because I feel that I'm Mr. Average and uh, I have this sense of inadequacy, uh, uh, for a large part of my younger adult life, I was always very reluctant to step forward, to move up, to be available, uh, to say yes. And even when finally I say yes to being a worship leader or preacher, I'm, I feel very, very inadequate. I always feel that it's terrible. 
I think I did a very bad job. Uh, I don't think it's good enough. It's always like that for so many years. Low self I can fully identify uh, with uh, the observation of George Werber, and, and they must be right. Having worked with thousands of people and Henry Nowen, having served with the hundreds of fellow priests, I think they are right. And I want to exp- expand this a little bit more to tell you why, why I think it is like that. We have a life before Christ. Uh, sorry, let's talk about the life before the fall. In the life before the fall, we were created in God's image. And uh, because we are created in, in the image of Christ, uh, we were built for significance. It's, it's now DNA. It's now DNA that we, uh, we have worth and value and dignity. Uh, our existence, we know that our existence matters. It is important. It makes a difference. And uh, we, we find this significance uh, in God. Because we have an unhindered uh, uh, relationship with God, our pleasure is found in God, our, our pride is focused in Him, our passion is to, is to long for Him. But after the fall of man, um, so the, the man's source of security, satisfaction and, and significance is in God, our sense of worth is found in being, our, uh, being accepted in God. And then something happened. After the fall, we were cut off cut off from the the source of our significance. And then we were left with a hole. And how do we fill this hole? This, we are still yearning to experience more, to attain something higher, deeper, richer, fuller, stronger. We want to be happier. We want acceptance, we want favour, we want affection, we want approval, we want meaning, we want purpose. We don't want to be limited. We don't want people, we, want to, we don't want to be a nothing. And so, because the fall, this hole, this gap is filled with what we do, what we want to accomplish, what we own, what we enjoy. And so, in our state of incompleteness, uh, we want admiration, affirmation, attention, commendation, compliment, everything that can fill this gap. I think that a lot of us Christians uh, are still going for this. A sense of inadequacy, insufficiency, incompleteness. And so I, I summarize like this, that after the fall, we are spiritually incomplete, we are morally incomplete, we are mentally incomplete because uh, our fellowship with God is severed, spiritually incomplete. Uh, we are unable to live righteously, so we are morally incomplete. And we are incapable of knowing the truth, so we are intellectually incomplete. And then, thanks be to God, no? well, let's... <laughs> Before I, I, I move on, let I'll just give you an example of a man who went way ahead of us. Solomon was way, way ahead of us uh, in the search for significance. He was a significance uh, seeker. Uh, well, I, I, I think just reading uh, Ecclesiastes and, and uh, uh, Samuel, kings, you will know that he was a powerful king, ruler, ambitious king, a learner, scholar, uh, scholar, a great philosopher, a remarkable thinker, a grand builder, a, a keen learner, talented poet, skillful writer. Well, I mean, he's everything. Yeah. He is truly the best, the strongest, the wisest king, possibly. And you know that at the end, his end of life evaluation, and you can get this from Ecclesiastes, okay? Ecclesiastes was written at the end of his life as an evaluation of life, as he reflected on life, he found that he lived a life in futility and difficulties. He wrote about pointlessness, worthlessness, hopelessness. And you will see in the book of Ecclesiastes, the refrain is, all is vanity. 38 times. Monotony of life, Ecclesiastes 4. Vanity of life, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Futility of life, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And, and the certainty of death, 
Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's terrible. End of life evaluation is that I am so unfulfilled. And uh, after our redemption, this is what happened. Friends, this, this, is, this should be our life after Christ. Eh? Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you who were once alienated and hostile in the mind, he has now reconciled his body by, the, by his death to present you uh, holy and blameless above reproach before God. And uh, I was uh, reading uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son uh, again in, in Ephesians chapter 15, verse 28 and 31. You know, we are like the younger son and we are also like the older son. Like the younger son, we have returned, been redeemed, restored. But like the older son, we are still significant searchers. And, and so the older son went to the father that, look, father, all these years I've been slaving for you, I have been proving to you that I'm, I'm worthy to be your son. And then the father said, my son, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. We don't have to be significant searchers. Can you imagine if uh, Kate Middleton, now the Duchess of Cambridge, uh, by the way, uh, uh, the research uh, that I showed, uh, uh, what I know is that she was a website designer and a photographer. And the firm she, the last job that she had was in party pieces. Uh, this, this is just set up by the, the parents, the party pieces. Very, very successful as a result of his, she uh, ever working there, uh, the, the business uh, became very, very successful. But, but whatever it is, can you imagine her going back to work for party pieces, for parents, for the purpose of showing the queen that I'm not just a pretty face, that I can work, okay, and I can make money, and I can pay my rent. I don't need you to give me a stipend. Ridiculous. You know, everything the father said, come on, son, everything I have is yours. And we do not have to be significant seekers trying to fill a hole that will never be filled. I think uh, the issue is this. Uh, the problem is that uh, it's not that we search for significance. The issue is that we search for significance in the wrong places. And so, we have to remind ourselves again. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 to 23, all things are yours. All things are yours, Paul said. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, the present or future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. All of Christ is yours. And Galatians 3, 26 and 27, for in Christ, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. For as many of you as are baptized in Christ, you have put on Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs. There's another significant seeker that I want to mention to you, and this is Paul. Uh, he was Saul then. You know that uh, Saul had every reason to feel good because uh, uh, he had a very impressively long credential and accomplishment. You can read that in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, for example, uh, uh, he mentioned that he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin and that he was trained under the best uh, you know, Gamaliel, the best scholar, the most belonging to the most respected religious circle called the Pharisees. And on top of that, he was zealous and he was serious. And then, when he turned his life over to God, everything changed. And, and this is what he said. My desire, you know, after he turned his life over to God, my desire is that I will have sufficient courage 
so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, is to live. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then he said in Philippians chapter three, verse seven and eight. For whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. I know this sermon is heavy. It's very heavy. And I don't know how to put it to you. Sad to tell you, uh, you know what we should do? You should not just use uh, your electronic Bible. Everybody, go back to the last real Bible that you own, even if it's just a New Testament. Take a copy of this Bible. You buy a pencil box like mine. You will go to the stationery shop, and you will buy ten colors. And three or four pens and a ruler, and you are going to read the epistles again, and then the gospels, and you are going to mark out every time there is the word in Christ, with Christ. Everything that has the mention of our inheritance because of Him, through Him, in Him. You mark it out. You know, and I was preparing the sermon. Uh, I was just flipping. You know, I didn't use a concordance. I was just flipping here, and I took a, a verse out. Just flip two pages back, and I said, yeah, three verses there, four verses. I can't give you everything. You will fall asleep. This is not a lecture, and I don't want this to be a lecture, but it is so heavy. It's ended up like a lecture. And you know what? Paul was... Paul had to... To say this, you know, Paul has said, brothers and sisters, I'm going to start with a prayer and I'll tell you what I have been praying, okay? I have been praying, I have not ceased praying, Colossians 1.19, to pray for you and asking, that God, please fill these people with the knowledge of your will and give them all spiritual wisdom and understanding. They must increase in their knowledge of you. They know less than 10% of what it means to be in Christ and to have Christ in them. And then in Ephesians, uh, which is what uh, uh, Vincent preached about, that prayer, I pray that they may know what is the hope for which uh, we have been called. What are the riches of your, this glorious inheritance in the saints? The immeasurable greatness of His power to us who believe. And in Ephesians 3, 14 uh, to 19, again he, he prayed, I bow down on my knees and I pray that you will be able to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and that you will be filled with the knowledge of God. So can you do that? Take the Bible, a real one, where you can mark, and then you are going to pray, oh God, I'm going to read the Bible now, and you will, you will put a light on. You will give me fresh understanding. I want my mind to be filled. I want to know you. I want to know the immeasurable greatness of the power in us who believe. This is what you should do. Okay? I want to talk about a significant seeker. Ah, so sad that I don't have the right slides. I've got such great slides this morning. But let me just share with you about a man who was a significant seeker. Do you know uh, Charles Coulson? Probably not, but because I was quite uh, uh, intrigued, I, I was quite curious to know what this Watergate scandal was all about. So I did a bit of reading. 
this is Chuck Colson, uh, Charles Colson, Chuck for short. You know, uh, in his autobiography uh, called Born Again, he said that uh, uh, because his father was born during the Depression, so the father taught the children uh, one really important value in life. That is to work real hard. And so he did. He went to an Ivy League university, George Washington University, and then finally to, uh, to Brown University. And in the university, he excelled. And after that, he went to join the Marines, in the US Marines. He was top of the class again. Everywhere he got scholarship. And then he went to study law, and then he decided that he would start up a law firm, and he became very, very successful. But his heart, his yearning was to join politics. So politics, he went. And in the politics, I know, I mean, you are a nobody. And he rose up from the ranks. And by the age of 37, he was in the inner circle of the president's man. Uh, you know, the president's man? You should go and watch this movie called The President's Man. These are the people in the inner circle, four or five men who practically runs the show. And he was special counsel to President Nixon. And uh, he, he, he became, he distinguished himself so much uh, that he was one of those men, uh, aged, aged, uh, in less than four, at, uh, at, uh, below 40 years of age. The president would just call him for advice, one-to-one. Uh, -one. And uh, uh, he said that all communications that came through the White House had to come to him. He, vet, he decides what's go out, what goes out, okay? And uh, uh, the Watergate scandal uh, was a very, very big scandal in America. Just Google it and just read about it. But I'll just tell you a little bit uh, that there was uh, President Nixon um, was uh, in, in this campaign uh, for his second term in presidency. And this, there was this larger campaign by Nixon supporters uh, to tarnish the reputation of the Democrats' uh, uh, candidates. And and of, of course, the Democrat, the Democrats' party as a whole. So it is by way of intimidation and harassment, negative campaign, and everything that's very, very ugly. Okay? But finally, it was found out, and uh, President Nixon's uh, career was on the line. He was facing impeachment, but his lieutenants, uh, those closer to him, had to be heads got to, to roll first uh, before the president offered to step down. So he was one of those. He said that he was a nervous wreck. You know, because everything was coming to an end. So he said that one day, in the crisis, everybody was, was looking for, for his to chop. In the crisis, he went to a very old friend and an ex-client called Tom Phillips. He went to him because he heard that this Tom Phillips had a Christian religious experience. So he went to Tom. And Tom was so calm. Not like the Tom he used to know. And so Tom said, well, um, yeah, you know, talk about Billy Graham crusade and how he was converted. And he told uh, Coulson that, I found Jesus, Coulson. My life belongs to him now. Then he picked up a book written by C.S. Lewis called Mere Christianity. And he was sharing with him about some of the things in mere Christianity. He got uh, Coulson very excited. You know? And so he said, well, do I want to pray for you? He said, no, 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 I, I'm not ready for this yet. So anyway, he took the book. He, he was, uh, then he drove home. Now, but he was so anxious uh, that he, he was so afraid that he would crash his car. So he, he drove to the side of the road and he just cried out to God, God, help me. You know? And he said that at the moment, uh, he really felt that someone was listening said, okay, I'm going to go to bed. And next morning, I'll be better. And when he woke up in the morning, he was not better. So he picked up the book and he read the book through and through, mark and reread. He said, this is me. Everything that's written about this book is me. And then he gave himself to the Lord again. And, he, and, and in this uh, autobiography, he wrote uh, that he told the Lord that uh, I am yours now. From today onwards, my life belongs to Christ. I'm going to lay them down 
at the feet of Jesus. And there was a tremendous release of burden of this Chuck Coulson, the overachiever. I don't have to be overachiever anymore. I'm going to lay it down. And I, because he was a lawyer, right? I know what I can plead guilty to. I'm going to the prosecutor. I'm going to plead bargain with them. They forget about all this rubbish uh, which I can, I can defend. I know what I can plead guilty to. I'm liable for this. Charge me for this. I'll plead guilty. Of course, uh, it was very easy for the prosecutor. He went to jail. And you know, for an, an, it was not just an achiever. He was an overachiever. You know? For an overachiever, to, to go to jail, do nothing, and to have everything stripped away, it's like going to a, a drug junkie and removing narcotics from him. You know? But he said that he knew in prison that it was not over. He doesn't know God's timetable or what plans God had for him, but his life was not over. So when he was released from prison, uh, the last but one of the Nixon's lieutenants to be released, he, he gave himself to God. He started the prison fellowship. Have you heard of the prison fellowship? Prison fellowship is all over the world. It's a, a, they, their ministry is to minister to prisoners. Very, very big in America. He's, he wrote 30 books, and these 30 books have sold 15 million copies. He started a daily talk show. He has received uh, so many awards uh, from so many doctorates, from so many universities. In fact, uh, George Bush Jr. gave him a special award in the White House. And at his funeral, uh, died in 81, uh, at the National Cathedral, instead of that, everybody talking about his past, everybody spoke about the accomplishment after his conversion in Christ. So he thought that he would reach the top and then it was not going to be like this. He actually was filled. He was actually significant only after he found Christ. And so when he was interviewed, now actually, Kosen, what, what is the difference? It's actually, actually not much difference. I'm still the same man, um, same talent, same abilities, and in the past, I worked for me. And I was thinking how it would benefit me. But after that, I worked for others. How it would benefit God and others and the kingdom things. The direction, orientation just changed. But the same thing. And, uh, and he often quoted, and I, I, cannot, I don't know who, who actually uses what he said. He often quoted this thing. Uh, in many of his speeches, there is not one inch in the whole dominion of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, this belongs to me. I say that again. He said that there is not one inch in the whole dominion of human existence over which Christ does not cry, Mine, this belongs to me. And his life was given to God. And so I'm going to end with one story. This is, uh, uh, this is taken from a newspaper article which uh, uh, Vincent made reference to in one of his sermons. Uh, I sent this article to all my uh, lawyer friends, uh, significant seekers. Tan La Yong, uh, at 35, uh, he was trained to be a specialist. Uh, he gave it up okay, because... Specialist training was, uh, would take far too long. And at 35, he just uprooted and he went to Yunnan uh, to serve as a missionary doctor. And he served there for 14 years. So he, he came back at uh, just close to 50. He has been back about four years already. So at age 53, this is just, he was just interviewed only. The newspaper report made this. Uh, they, they, were, they were careful to mention this, that at 53, he had no home to his name, no car, no TV, and he's looking to buy a flat in HGB Heartland. And, and uh, as, um, as Vincent mentioned it before, there was an MP who wanted to offer him a lot, large sum of money, which he declined because he said that it would detract him from his primary mission, uh, which I quote, uh, 
which is teaching, equipping, encouraging, and nudging, a nudging for change through values, rather than running the, all these mass programs. And right now, his time, uh, he said that he spent uh, among foreign workers, sometimes he walks in the Great Light District to, to just uh, to be among the downtrodden, marginalized, and he's just, he just have to do this right now. He's thinking, no, this guy uh, is so secure. Everybody, uh, I'm sure, who is a doctor now, who graduated with him at that time, somebody now, earning big properties, big bucks, with titles after them, or at least a, a lot of money. This guy is so secure. Hey, what is this? Everything that I have in Christ is mine. Does it matter that I don't have much? Does it matter that I'm not so famous? Does it matter even if I lose everything? Do you know the book uh, by Not a Fan by Carl Eiderman? Carl Eiderman has a, a short writing on his father in the 2009 financial crisis in America. Of course, it's affected the whole world. His father lost 40% of his retirement savings because a lot of Americans were very, very badly affected. So Carl was very concerned about his father, went to ask the father, Dad, so, um, so how, how do you feel you know, to have lost 40% of your retirement savings? So, well, Carl... It's not mine to begin with. The Bible did say, right, that uh, he will meet my needs according to his riches in glory. There is that calm in his father. This guy is so secure. And you know what I want? I want to be just like that. Where my significance is not based on what you think of me, on what I own, what I do, what I accomplish, what titles I have, what people think of me. And even if I should go to jail for something I didn't do and I got to, I'm shamed. I want to be secure. And, and this, for this reason, Paul can say that, oh yeah, all this is rubbish. Compared to knowing God and now I know so much about God and what it all means to me. This is rubbish, man. What a waste of time. Paul was able to say that. And so this is my message. Very doctrinal, very theological, very heavy. But I just wish that if there's one thing that is practical that you can bring back, I want you to take a copy of the old Bible. You take, buy your pencils or your colors, go back and you pray that those prayers that was prayed by Paul, that God, give me understanding, wisdom, insight. I want to know what I have. I want to know what it means to be in Christ, to have Christ in me. Give me, light up this bulb in me. And I want to be so secure in you. Can you do that? And so, this is the end of the sermon. And we're ready for lunch, but I want to pray with you. And um, because it's rather late, let's just close in prayer and have a good meal afterwards. Okay, let's just pray. Oh, Father, thank you for all the promises that are a yes in Christ. Thank you, God, for that you are the source of significance and we have returned. We have come back. We are restored to the source of true significance and we do not want to go back to the self-made way, the self-managed way of filling the whole that will never be filled apart from you. God, we want to be known as Christ-made people. And may Christ be preeminent in our lives. And may we demonstrate to the watching world what difference it makes to have the light of Christ in us. So God, build kingdom values in us. Help us to be rooted in Christ to walk in Christ, to be anchored in the eternal. May your Spirit guide us so that we can magnify and glorify Christ as we surrender, as we sacrifice, as we serve. Holy Spirit, 
please redefine our energies, redirect our influence and power towards what is productive and infinitely satisfying. May our stability, may our strength, may our confidence come from Christ reigns. May we be image bearers. May we be kingdom builders. Change our hearts, God. Renew our minds, God. Liberate us from the obsession of personal significance. Thank you, God. Thank you for that we are already qualified. We are already qualified because we are redeemed. We are qualified to share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ together with all the saints. And we praise you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.